0: In this episode, we'll conclude our discussion about the comprehensive quality transformation. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient and Practicing Internist. Joining me again is Dr. Rick May, Senior Principal for Clinical Quality Improvement at Vizient and also an orthopedic surgeon, and Todd Baker, Principal for Quality Improvement at Vizient. Rick and Todd, welcome back. Great to be here.
1: Tom, always a pleasure. Thanks for having us.
0: In the last episode, we started to talk about the data needed for a comprehensive quality transformation. Can you summarize that for us? Yeah, just to kind
2: of reiterate a little bit, ultimately, you need to streamline what your organization measures in terms of your quality data. That the board is seeing the same thing as middle management is seeing the same thing as the nurses and the physicians in the trenches. And that you're looking at all of your analytics platforms and you're doing an inventory and you're really reducing and removing those that are duplicative or not really impactful in any of your quality efforts.
0: So what are the biggest deficits you see with quality data today?
1: Well, Todd alluded to several of them. The biggest deficit is actually the opposite of a deficit. It's a plenitude. Is that a word? Yeah. We got too much of it, right? We got too much data. It's coming from all different sources. Some of it's risk-adjusted, some of it's not. Some of it's rates. Some of it's currencies per 100,000. I mean, it's sort of all over the map. So the biggest problem is too much. As Tom was kind of alluding to, one of the key things to do is to say, listen, let's really narrow this down and focus on the stuff that matters the most. And I mean that the stuff that's really going to drive the outcomes we're trying to achieve, the goals we're trying to achieve. And also, I think this other critical component is, is the data simplified enough, condensed enough? And then small enough in small of a chunks that when you put it back in front of the physicians, the nurses, the folks that really have to make that data actionable, that is very clear to them. We make this point a lot when you think about creating like data standards for your hospital. What you're going to share in terms of analytics and insights? Talk with the folks that have to use it because the nurses on the floor may come back with a much much different set of requirements than what somebody who doesn't work in that environment may come up with. So think about reducing your data given the people who are using the data on a regular basis, stuff that they really need to see to drive improvement, and then be responsive when they say, you know, to really drive the outcomes we need, I need this additional piece of stuff. Be willing to go out and find that data if possible, because a lot of times the easy data sources are not necessarily the
2: ones that you really need to drive improvement. So what should the data include instead? This is a big challenge, Tom. Rick just talked about kind of streamlining, getting down to the meat of what really matters. We talked about leading indicators earlier. Sometimes some of these measures are not, easily, say, cold out of the analytics platform. So sometimes there's almost a manual process that you have to go about to actually capture that data. And that can be a real challenge with the staff and being able to mine your own charts and some of your analytics for those, say, leading indicators. So that can be a big challenge. So I think the answer to that is that a focus on one or two measures, something simple. I talked about the readmission measure earlier. If you're going to focus on one measure and a leading indicator, just do one, get success with one, figure out how to build that into the DNA of what everybody looks at and then add another, add another, but start simply and don't boil the ocean right off the bat.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I was having a conversation actually this week with a hospital and we were talking about surgical complications and going back and forth about a lot of really kind of crazy high level numbers and rates. At the end of the day, and by the end of the day, some of the room suggested, you know, why don't we just make it simple? Let's just talk with the staff about saying our goal is going to be to have one less complication among our surgery patients every single day. And there it is. We're going to post it. We're going to track it. And that's going to be our goal. And it was beautiful, right? If we do that, actually, it does achieve our, our short-term, ultimate long-term goals. But it's so easy. It's so concise. And everybody can kind of rally around it to say, yeah, that's doable. I understand what we're trying to achieve. And I think that we can actually do that that's one of the key pieces of this data. We got too much of it. So how do you take it and make it really actionable by the people that literally have their hands
2: on the issues and can make those changes every day?
0: The importance of always keeping things simple, right?
2: I love that example because I think that is exactly where everyone should start is think about the simplest way you could start to achieve your goal, focus on one measure and then build from that. And you know what? Just start, start fixing it, start with something simple and start making the change. A lot of times that organizational inertia stops the action that's needed to start down this path. And it doesn't have to be curing world hunger, right? It, it can be something more simple to start with. So I love that example.
0: I could not agree more. You know, one of the challenges in the past has always been about sustaining improvement. As an initiative goes on for a while, then it kind of plays out, if you will. So how do you really change that? How does a culture actually factor into this?
2: Yeah. This is a really, really important point. If there's maybe one thing that I think underrides an organization's ability to sustain quality improvement, it's their culture. And if there's not a, say, a culture that is supportive of quality improvement, and you don't have a methodology, frankly, let's say you're not on a journey towards higher reliability, or you don't utilize effective management systems, or you have disparate management systems. One unit's using visual management boards, the other one's not using anything, and it's somebody's got an Excel file somewhere. Again, this is the kind of thing that really occurs. Adopting a universal system and then an actual approach to high reliability is very important to be able to sustain and improve your performance. And so that becomes the foundation of that culture, but also reinforcing that with the aligned metrics and incentives for leadership, as well as physicians, as well as the staff, that everybody's motivated and heading in the same direction, and you've got a system to measure and monitor it.
1: Yeah. And and Todd, if I could add, I mean, those are critical points. Back to what you talked about earlier is this idea about the one complication a day. It's okay for a hospital to say, wow, trying to fix culture across this entire organization is really, really tough, Let's pick an area. Let's pick a single unit. Let's pick sort of a part of the hospital that we're going to work on today, this month, this quarter. And it's okay to do that. and Talk about, you know, what are the challenges now? What's the leadership look like there? What is kind of the nursing staffing engagement resource? Where are the physicians and all this? And try and find some areas that maybe some hanging fruit that are easier to do, to work on, and then build from there. And like I say, it's okay. You don't have to take on the entire hospital because culture is a tough one. So reduce it down. Find areas that are sort of easier to fix work on those, show success. And then once you've done that, it's much easier to go kind of to the next place, the next place, the next place. That success breeds more success, especially when it comes to culture.
0: Rick, as a surgeon, what would you like to see in a perfect system? Well, Tom, more food in the ore would be an important step for me, I think, if, it was, <laughs> if I
1: could have anything at all, so... <laughs> <laughs> that would be the best part. But short of that, I'm not sure if that's available right away, it's interesting. When I look at surgery today in terms of surgical quality, I think about it a lot in terms of complications. Now, a lot of systems track surgical mortality as the primary outcome, but I, I never like that because one, fortunately in the modern age, deaths in surgery don't happen very often, which is a good thing. And two, a lot of times the deaths that do occur are considered to be sort of expected deaths. They're patients that are very sick or they're salvage procedures. But complications, again, really super common, usually 20 to 30 times more complications than our deaths in a hospital. And what's amazing today, if you look at the whole profile around surgery, the vast majority, like 90 plus percent of the complications we see around surgery are medically related, meaning not technical stuff like in the surgeon's hands, a technical complication like the surgeon putting a trocar through the aorta. This is all medical stuff. And the advantage of the medical things like renal failures and respiratory failures, even delirium, is that if you go upstream, if you have a great preoperative evaluation optimization process, it turns out, and there's great research to support this, if you do that first step of the preparation of those patients well, it's incredible. Your complications just plummet. These medical complications just drop off across the board. And so I always tell hospitals when it comes to surgical quality, you could pick a lot of stuff. You could look at your post op protocols, you could look at discharge, you could look at data. But if you had to pick one area, Focus on that preoperative process, really drive, get a great preoperative clinic, evidence-based practitioners who have perioperative medicine training experience, really let them drive that process. That's the core, the single biggest piece, which will improve quality in U.S. hospitals around surgery.
0: Todd, as our subject matter expert and readmissions, what would you like to see in a perfect system? So are we dreaming here a little bit, Tom? Because Absolutely. I, got,
2: okay. Because uh, what Rick alluded to is managing the patient, right? Managing that patient, the whole patient, not just what they're coming in to get fixed in surgery. They're talking about managing the human. If I'm dreaming, I would love to see us move much more aggressively to reforming our payment system in our country. Mm -hmm. I think we're moving there in fits and starts. And I think hospitals are doing a Herculean job of trying to push that rock uphill and manage those patients in many places where they don't have incentives. So I'd love to see us move to more of that kind of disease management where hospitals and physician groups are aligned to treat the patient as opposed to just an episodic issue or episodic care. Again, I'm dreaming because I've been doing this for 25 years and we've been talking about this the entire time I've been in healthcare, but it seems to be that we're starting to get a little bit more momentum around that and I would love to see it become much more pronounced.
1: So gentlemen, what does the future look like then? The future, that's a great question. I'm hoping, more nurses and less COVID. That's probably a great first step, I think, <laughs> in the right direction. Um, I, I think, as Todd was alluding to, this important critical piece. I mean, you know, we still in this country we pay in a lot of settings, we pay more for bad stuff than good stuff, right? I mean, it's bad outcomes you get paid more than good. That's got to go away. That's one of the critical pieces I think we have have. And I think as people look at healthcare financing in general, we all know the numbers, it's crazy off the charts, you know, the percentage of GDP and everything else. That we have to sort of s- simply finally put the stick on the so we can't do anymore. We're not going to pay for bad outcomes more than good outcomes. That's a key critical step, and I think, I think it's, it's going to happen. It has to happen. What I'm really hoping happens, Tom, is this: with the hospitals really embracing the fact that their success, probably ultimately their survival, really comes back to the reason they come in every morning. As I mentioned, gets people up in the morning to come in. Sometimes really early in the morning or stay late at night to work is really the patients delivering quality of care to these patients who are so responsible for. It. So put that first and you know front and center in a lot of these conversations because one is the right thing to do, but frankly, again, from a survival standpoint, this is the, the financial aspects of the hospital, the operational aspects, the recruitment and retention aspects, the strategic marketing positioning aspects, everything that I think in the hospital just revolves around that. And I think the hospitals we talk to now, it used to be surprisingly, quality was kind of almost like an afterthought in some ways, but so many hospitals now, they've said, oh no, we get it now. We get it. We've got to get on top of this quality. And so I guess I'm, I'm very optimistic about the future. I think we have a lot of challenges to face in healthcare, but I think there will be this sort of renaissance of really thinking around that quality has got to be front and center b- because it's the most important thing for our patients. It's the most important thing that's closest to our hearts as providers. But frankly, just the way we keep our doors open and our lights on is because we are absolutely adamant about quality every day in every way.
0: All right. Very good. Outstanding. Rick, Todd, thanks for joining us on these episodes. You've given us a lot of useful and crucial information. And to our listeners, you can contact Rick and Todd at their email addresses in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcast.com. We've also posted a link in our resource section. And please join us for other modern practice podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom DeWinway.